0: This podcast is brought to you by LineUpMedia.fm. What is uh, slashing?
1: Slashing is um, like that, you know. <coughs> hmm
0: And um, there's a penalty for that?
2: Yeah. Uh, and for a trip also, you know, oh. like that. <coughs> and mm-hmm. for hook like this. <coughs> and uh, for spear, you know, like that. Mm-hmm. All bad. Bad. You do that, you go to the box, you know, uh, two minutes by yourself and... You feel shame, you know, and then you get free. It's time for another episode of The Drop Podcast. The Drop is an unbiased, in-depth hockey podcast dedicated to the St. Louis Blues and all the hot topics within the NHL. So tell the ref you don't mind the game misconduct penalty. You are headed to the locker room anyway to listen to The Drop. Here's your host, Lance De Scott.
0: Thanks again once more for joining me for another episode of the Drop Podcast. You know I like to have a lot of former NHL players on. You know I've had Grant Fuhrer on. You know I've had several other guys on. And it is a great pleasure for me to have a guy on that maybe some of you new Blues fans have never heard of. Uh, Even though he was part of one of the biggest days in Blues history, you may not know who he is. But let's get to know former blue, former king, former flyer, and a guy who's played all through Europe at the WHA, the IHL, the AHL. It is centerman Roman Vopat. Roman, thank you for joining us today here on The Drop.
3: Thank you, Lance. Thanks for having me. Here's all mine.
0: Before we get into your career, uh, what kind of things are you up to today, Roman? Where, Where are you living at? I know you're up in Canada.
3: Well, I live in uh, a small city of Cranbrook, uh, British Columbia. It's about uh, uh, three hours uh, east of Lethbridge and four hours from Calgary. Uh, I'm married happily for a little over 20 years. I've um, got two boys, 15 and 13. Uh, obviously, they're both playing hockey, which I'm not really happy about it, but <laughs> it is what it is uh coaching, uh, uh, coaching uh, here in Cranbrook, coaching you under 15, and, uh, and working. Uh, the day I retired, I retired nine years ago, and uh, uh, I've been started working for a friend of mine who owns a, a HydroVac company, so I've been working uh, ever since uh, for him.
0: That is great to hear. It's great that you've had some great family success. Our kids are brought on this earth sometimes to make us very <laughs> proud, and other times they don't tend to listen to us very well. And uh, it's, it sounds like that you aren't very happy with them playing hockey, but you got to support them. And I'm sure they understand that it takes a lot of dedication, just like you knew when you played in your professional days.
3: Absolutely. It takes, you know, and that's what now generation, they don't understand. They don't they don't get it. It's not what you do on the ice. It's what you do off the ice. And, and that was the right example. Uh, when I played, I, you know, wasn't really the uh uh fantastic hockey player off T I so uh but anyway yeah uh they're playing hockey they're enjoying it as long as they're enjoying it i will support it and uh, they're having fun so far so that's good
0: that's great uh you grew up in the in the czech republic uh playing hockey when did you first start playing
3: i i started later uh my brother started earlier but i haven't started until i was probably nine years old wow um yeah and then uh, but I was you know I was bigger than most of the kids, so uh you couldn't really tell if I'm any good or not, because <laughs> I dominate pretty much in every level because of my size and and uh my dad was my coach from all from growing up since I was nine till I was probably fourteen and and uh let me tell you, um he wasn't good at all, he was a nice man to me, but you know what. I appreciate everything you did, and you know I'm the man I am today because of him, mostly.
0: Yeah, a lot of times there's things we don't respect our parents for, but there are a lot of times where there's things they instill in us, like I'm sure he did uh, when it came to you playing hockey. He probably wasn't the type of parent that lets you do it half-heartedly like most hockey parents don't. They get up early in the morning, they take their kids to the rink, they take their kids to the rink at night, they take them out on the lake when it freezes over. It's, uh, it's a dead, it's, it's a life. A lot of people don't understand that unless they play it. Uh, you know, I played baseball and I played hockey as a goalie, and I started late uh, at the age of six. But it's different than other sports in my mind. I played baseball too. You've got to be really dedicated and make it a your priority if you're serious about playing hockey.
3: Absolutely, and you know, uh, you know, when you play other sports, usually the practices are in the evenings after school. Uh, but hockey, hockey, is different. You have uh, six o'clock in the morning uh, practice twice a week. You know, and that, that's hard for especially teenagers to get up in the morning and force himself to, you know, to uh, to go to the to go to the practice and even perform right. So, uh, and I know this with the under fifteen. Uh, our morning practice, we have morning practice once a week it's it's pain I you know I sometimes I feel for the kids but they all talk about how you know where they want to play when they grow up and they want to make the NHL but it starts with the morning practice you can't take a day off you can't take it you know you just you just can't if you want to achieve your goal you want to you know fulfill your childhood dream then you got to go for it and you got to put the foot to the metal and just do everything doesn't matter if it's six a.m. or six p.m. or eleven p.m. You just got to be ready to go any time of the
0: day. Yeah, I'm sure, uh, and I can remember it's very hard to get those uh, kids motivated at five a.m. Uh, you know, th- th- they're wanting to to sleep, and a lot of the the kids that I grew up with, uh, uh, like a lot of people in in Canada, and I'm sure in the Czech Republic, a lot of them were farmers. They're hardworking kids that would get up at three in the morning and have chores, and then they'd have to go to practice
3: yeah that's you know what that's why uh you know you look at western hockey League and that's you know when you have you always want to have the farmer boys on your on your team because they're hard as workers and you know like you said they get up early in the morning do some chores before practice and and then they go to practice and come home from practice, go straight to school, and then come home from school, do chores at the farm and they go to bed at ten o'clock at night absolutely exhausted, so you always want to have, have a players like that and and um but me growing up in in Czech and the communism it was a little different um oh actually quite different yeah. uh we practiced twice a week early but um but I I went to a sports school that uh literally we practiced from 6 to seven thirty. school starts at 8 and and really they've dedicated everything to 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 hockey and and schooling so you didn't really have to worry about anything else other than that
0: you were talking about the whl that was your time with the the moose jaw warriors Uh, people don't understand how nice hockey people are especially in canada Um, i've met so many people and in my previous job that i had i was worked for a technology firm and we built software Everywhere I would go, people would find out that I was an American that played hockey, and I would get invited to play hockey. I've talked to a bunch of NHL players, former players, and I I do understand it, but those people up there in Canada, and you can speak for yourself since living there now uh, and living there for a while, that uh, they are some of the nicest, most down-to-earth people. I've tried to get, as a child, tried to get uh, baseball players autographs football players autographs but every hockey player i ever meet they just end up talking about their mom and dad and they just talk about their time growing up and they're very respectful down to earth people
3: i absolutely agree with you you know i came from communist country into the country that i knew nothing about i uh, did not speak any english and so it was uh and i was 18 years old so it was uh kind of an eye opener for me and I was, um, you know, honestly, I was, I was afraid of it, but with, you know, the the teammates and the family that I lived in and, you know, the surrounding families and the fans of the team, they treat me like one of their own, like I've always been. And to this moment, I will never forget the first day I, I, you know, I walked into the dressing rooms and you meet all those guys and it, it felt instantly like a family, hockey family, and I feel wanted and I appreciate everything they always did for me. And you know what? Honestly, it was best of my life. It was absolutely fantastic from day one to the last day in in junior hockey in Prince Albert. It was absolutely fantastic career I had.
0: It's not just the team itself. What a lot of people don't understand are when these guys come over from Russia from the Czech Republic, from Denmark, from Germany. There's people in that city where they play uh, whether it's Moose Jaw, whether it's Red Deer, whether it's Saskatoon, there's just people that live in that city that put you up in their house and you stay there and they take care of you and they feed you and they make you part of your family.
3: Exactly. And you know, all they, they take you to their house, you know, and I was 18 years old, I was 6'3" 225. So I I ate a lot. I ate a lot of food. So, and I know now, you know, they get say four hundred fifty dollars, you know, for each kid that they bill it. There's no way that was enough. You know, they work hard. They had jobs. You know, they had part-time jobs. And again, then you eat all their food, and you know, and some. And it's just you were part of their family. They took you. They adopted you. Make their own. And they did everything for me like they would do for their own children so uh, it was absolutely fantastic because they know you have a dream you came 15,000 miles to achieve your dream and they're trying to help you to to uh, fulfill it so growing
0: up in your native uh litvanov and excuse me if i pronounced it wrong did yeah. I pr-
3: no okay no that's
0: good uh when did you realize you were possibly good enough to play professionally
3: well when i was about 16 you know Again, I was six three. I was sixteen. So um, with my style of play, I, I spent a lot of time in the foul box, and uh, so I wasn't uh, uh, very popular with the referees. So my dad says, "Well, why don't you know? Why don't we maybe contact someone and maybe they can get you to play in North America uh, and help that I was uh, playing for a Czech national team under seventeen, under 18. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, my agent, Yuri Serha, he used to be a goalie for Toronto Police. He was my agent back back home. Oh, really? He, uh, yeah, he contacted uh, the CHL and put my name into the CHL uh, European Info Draft, and I was drafted by Moose Chow. And literally, that is the history of how I become a Moose Chow Warrior. I so, was drafted in the first round, and and really, I wish... Really wished I uh, uh, came over when I was younger, maybe 16, 17. But my dad was a smart man. He says, You better finish school first before you came over, go to the United States or Canada. And I did. So I finished my school and I left the country when I was 18 years old. And I uh, uh, live in Canada ever since.
0: Before we talk about your time at, with the Moose Jaw Warriors, I think you had two stints with them. Um, a lot of people, they'll, they'll see a player maybe get to be older in the NHL and he's a little too slow but he still has some skill and he goes over to the European leagues. He goes and plays for a German league or he plays uh, for a league in the Czech Republic or he plays in the K, in the KHL. Explain to fans the difference between the game because a lot of them think it's just the rink size.
3: Well, when I left the national hockey, League, I went to Germany. And the German... German League, the DEL back then, it was majority uh, players from uh, North America. So I would say each team would have uh, 10, a minimum 10 players from North America. So the game was similar to, uh, to the National Hockey League. A lot slower, but uh, still the physicality, the fights, you know, was there. Uh, then you go to Finland, Finland and Sweden. Mm-hmm. And Finland is very similar to North American style of game. Uh, very fast, physical, but on a little larger, uh, larger surface. And then when you go to Czech, it's more of a uh, more skills, not not as not as much physicality, but um, more more skills than uh, all those leagues I just mentioned, uh, German or or Finland or Sweden. So uh, every every league that you know their own thing. They're they're all beautiful. They're all different but they're all in the
0: same way They're You've got to love the sport to play it and succeed. Uh, you know, you, you see guys with a lot of talent, and if they don't work hard at it and they don't love it, they're not going to succeed. And you worked hard enough to where you were drafted by the Blues in the seventh round. I believe it was 172nd yep. overall in the 94 yep. draft. What was that feeling like? Did you know for sure you were going to get drafted, but were you kind of getting itchy towards the last couple of rounds there?
3: Oh well, yeah, I was actually really cheap because uh, we talked to San Luis uh, the day of the draft and they said they would like to take me in fourth. I said, okay, that's fantastic. I had an interview with them and I interviewed pretty well, I, I believe. Uh, so they said they would like to take me in fourth. But, you know, when you go through the draft and all of a sudden you go into round number four and all of a sudden there's a player available that wasn't even supposed to be in fourth round anymore. So San Luis took it. Okay, then I went to fifth. Well, they skipped and they made a trade for a fifth. So then all of a sudden there's a sixth. Oh my God! And then, then you start thinking, okay, well, okay, well if San Luis doesn't take me, it's, you know, then you start questioning yourself. But you know, I had a you know I had a faith in whatever they said, and so they took me in the seventh, and I was happy day in my life. And but again, you, you being drafted, it doesn't really uh, doesn't really mean anything, but. I was happy for sure. I mean, it was part of my dream become halfway, halfway uh, true. So, um, yeah, that was, a, that was a, for sure a stressful time, but also a very happy time for me too.
0: And I'm sure you will never, ever forget it uh, until the day you die. I'm sure you'll always remember being that little nervous young man at 18 years old, about 18, and you get drafted and you're excited And we talked about the Moose Jaw Warriors after coming over from Litvinov. Uh, You were talking about your time in the penalty box. And in 72 games at 94-95, you had 141 penalty minutes. But you also had 23 goals and 20 assists for a total of 43 points. That's pretty good because the WHL back then was a pretty feisty league.
3: Yeah, that, you know what? Every team you look at through all the lineups, all those teams that the '94, '95, they, you know, they were full with uh, physical, uh, physical defensemen and tough forwards. And yes, it was a, it was a tough league. But you know, me being six three, two twenty five when I was eighteen, I enjoy that style. I literally thrive on it. Like more physical, I get, I, I got better. But when I had Tour as my coach. I had to learn how to defend myself because you know when you start hitting people that you're not supposed to hit, um, <laughs> and I and, and you know and I would hit anybody. I didn't really care. I didn't know anyone, so they says, "Oh yeah, I keep hitting, keep hitting." So I kept hitting, and eventually, you know, you have to answer the bell. So tour after practice, you know, show me some few things, and but yes, we have such a good team and a tough team too. We had no faster, and Rob Trombley who who uh, yeah. was a not not a really big fella, but one of the toughest in the Western Hockey League uh, in that time, and you know, and they taught me some few things, and and you're not gonna win all of them, but you know, you have to start start uh, uh, getting into the fights to to uh, practice it because it doesn't matter how many times you do the wrestle after practice, you're not gonna get better unless you uh, get into a real fight. So you know, I don't know how many I had that year. Uh, but I probably lost majority of them, but I, you know what? I showed up and that's what, I think that's what matters the most.
0: Yeah. You showed up and you worked hard. And what's funny. I tell people about times when uh, uh, as a goalie, they even taught us as goalies uh, how to pull a guy's Jersey over his head and keep it there to where you could punch him. And people look at me like, but you were a goalie. I'm like, I don't care that we were taught that too. It was just a different game. And I you know I, I don't want to go back to the 70s where everybody was just you know beating everybody up. there, were, there was yeah. skill, of course in the game. You yeah. had skilled guys in the game, but it was just a different game back then. And I, I wanted to get your opinion on this too before we talk any anymore about your career. Uh, the, the game today to me, the refs don't call things that they should. Uh, they don't allow uh, guys to police the ice themselves. Gary Bettman, in my mind, uh, although he's great for the owners and he's made them a lot of money, it's, in my mind, not good for the sport because you didn't see guys taking advantage of, of guys by uh, working them over with their stick. Uh, uh, yeah. Duncan Keith, you know, Duncan Keith working guys over with his stick years ago, cross-checks to the back of the neck, and uh, you knew back in the 80s, 70s, 80s, even in the mid-90s to early 2000s that if you did that, you knew either you were going to pay for it or somebody on your team was going to pay for it. And yeah. there's, there's no, I, I, just, I just don't see that in today's game. And people say, well, it wasn't as safe. I think it was safer back then.
3: And you know what? I'm, I 100% agree with you. Um, I, I love the speed in this game. I like the skills. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you. There's got to be some physicality in the game. And if you play it hard enough, and you play physical enough, eventually somebody's gonna have to answer the bell. You have high sticks people, the cross okay. checks, and you know spearing and all that. And yet, there's why do you think Las Vegas re- resign uh, uh, Reeves? Mm-hmm. Because he makes everybody six foot three. He makes everybody around him that much taller, that That's much right. better. Yeah, why would Edmonton bring in Lucic to protect McDavid? Mm-hmm. Yes, and I believe if those players still belong in the game, yes, get rid of get rid of the the, the the stage fights, you know, before the face-off sure. and all that. You you still have to be able to play the game. And Reese can not play the game. Uh, Wilson from Washington can not play the game Yet they're still top. I, I agree with you. I I, I think you know. Players that caliber should be on a team, should be in the game. And I've never, like I always said, I've never seen a fan stood up during a fight and go buy a hot dog. Never have <laughs> that. And honestly, I've never had, never seen it. You know, I'm not saying you want, like you said, in the 70s, six, seven, eight, 9 fights a game. But, you know, once in a while, you know, one fight a game, two fights a game, it never hurts anyone. And I think it's just only... Uh, makes the things cleaner, uh, safer for the other, the other players. and I think players should be able to police themselves because re- referees have no idea of what are the rules, what they can and cannot call. They're confused, and so are the players.
0: they're very so, they're, they're I, very confused well, one game very. one game, a hooking call isn't hooking. The next game with exactly. the same referee crew, you'll get a hooking call that's even worse. And, and they either let it, and you just, it's, it's kind of like the goalie interference referees don't know what to call, what to do. And I've always thought it starts at the top, but when you're talking about physicality on the ice, to me, it's about accountability. And I remember stories from Tony twist and Kelly chase from the blues. And they would tell me that they would skate by the other, the other team's bench before the game and say, anybody touches 16, you you know you know what's gonna happen. You're gonna you're gonna have yeah. to deal with me. Either you are or somebody on your team is. And yeah. did you ever? I mean, I'm sure you played with Brad Hall. Uh, yes, I did. If, yeah. it, if anybody ever messed with him, what happened, uh, Roman?
3: Yeah, you would have Tony <laughs> Twist tapping on your shoulder. Yeah, and you don't want you don't want angry Tony Twist tapping on your shoulder. Trust me. But yes, exactly. The intimidation factor back then it was there. You know, like when I played in PA, we had we replaced Askew too. Saskatoon might have the toughest team. They always have. Look at sure. they had Tony Twist, Kelly Chase, yeah. they had Kevin, Kevin Kaminsky, Clark, all those guys. Also when I played, they had Eli, McAllister, Will, you know, mm-hmm. Warner. They had such a tough team that when we played them, the intimidation it was there. And I remember people were telling me, Soya, oh, yeah, you should see when Tony Twist played junior, he would skate to the other side, <laughs> grab their uh, net. Took it to their own sides, and the other team couldn't warm up because they didn't have a freaking net. <laughs> so that's why they, I think 1993 they start uh, warm ups in Western Hockey individual one one team at a time first. That's true. That's team, true. And, yeah. uh, yes, and and the home team because of, you know things like that with uh, Twister and Chaser, and when they were in Saskatoon. So I heard story when Tony Twist would do some push ups and. And buy some curls and then would sit on a visitors' bench during a warmup, yeah, during their war. Yeah. And if you, you you know Tony, and if you he looks like an NFL linebacker, not a hockey player. So he, the intimidation factor was for sure that
0: Yeah, to, 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 Tony Twist wasn't tall like Probert, but he was oh. wide as he was wide he as was a wide. huge tree trunk.
3: Yes, he was wide. He yeah, he was wide. Like I said, I met him the first time. And he was doing, I think, I think bicep curls with forty-five plates in, on each side, and, and, uh, and I thought we'd share and dressing room with the uh, with the Rams. That's uh, just no, that's that's 20. That's uh, one of our uh, one of our tough guys. I go, through. oh my god! Oh, he was a big man. He was a large man.
0: Yeah, it, it, but you know what? Off the ice. Uh, him and Kelly Chase are two of the nicest guys you'd ever want to nicest, talk to.
3: Absolutely,
0: uh, but on the ice, yeah. just a different persona. And if you ask Brett, if if you ask Brett Hall, and I've talked to Brett Hall about it, I was uh, Grant Fier's guest at his premiere of his movie Making Coco in St. Louis, and, yeah. And and Brett was in the VIP area and and talked to it, and he told me, he says, you know, he says, you know, Lance, he says, I would not have had the career if not for number eighteen. He said, if not absolutely. for him and, thir- and Kelly Chase. And I've heard Gretzky say it. Uh, Gretzky says it time and time again. Absolutely. And Gretzky. Every star. Yeah, Gretzky, yeah. when he went to L.A., he told Edmonton and the Kings, I will not go without Marty McSorley. If Marty McSorley Absolutely. doesn't go, I will not go. And people will go, yeah. I don't understand why. Well, if you don't understand why, you don't understand what the game yeah. was like back
3: then. Exactly. And you know what? That goes for every star i got to say Stevie Eisenman. Stevie Eisman oh, yeah. wouldn't be Stevie Eisenman without Ball Probert and Joe Kosher. That's true. And you know what? And for the guys now saying as a general managers, let's get rid of fighting mm-hmm. because that's what people want to say. No, let's not. Let's, I, 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 I understand people, the tough guys are suffering now because of the head trauma and all that. Yeah. And I get, and I get it. When people ask me about well, what do you think about fighting in a game, I says, "Watch the Ice Guardians," and that that yep. that's all I need to say to them. Watch the Ice Guardians, yep. and, and listen, to, uh, listen, Kenny Chase at the end when he has tears in his eyes that he would do it again if he had a choice. he would do it again with a little more passion. Yep,
0: and and all and, those guys, all all those guys in that uh, movie. I know, I know Adam uh, Scorge yeah. personally, the the producer of the yeah. movie, and all those guys. He said, if they all had to do it over again, they would do it the exact same way. It was for the love of the game. And, you know, I I can't remember which player it was, but he said people would come up to him and said, why are you patting the guy's back after you just beat the crap out of him and telling him, good job, good job. He says, because even though I beat the crap out of him, I still respected him and he respected me. He said, when we fell to the ice, if I was on the bottom. He didn't punch me when I was on the ice, yeah. and if, if, if vice versa, I didn't punch him when yeah. he was on the ice.
3: And I think that's what the game's lacking now. I think it's a lot of, lack of respect between the players, and and quite honestly, you know, watching some of these, uh, you know, I think Brad Marchand's a one a player. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But when he, uh, I don't remember who he licked on the ice, really, and and league is okay with it mm-hmm. that he licks some other player in the face and. He gets fined uh, 500 bucks or whatever. It, it, it's laughable. It's a, it's a joke. Well, it, well, a if, if,
0: yeah. If, if you see him in that, I think it was against Columbus 10 seconds after go. the play, he looks around to make sure there's no refs and he cross checks the guy in the crease right into his goalie yeah. and the rest don't call yeah. anything. There's no accountability. He should get punches,
3: details and absolutely there's zero accountability. In there. and, and, but it, now generation though there's zero accountability in the real world too so i agree with you i, I fully you know, agree and with you it's and it's it's only going to get worse so
0: yeah and Unfortunately. It's, it's, it's sad for guys like us that we don't want you know a fight every two minutes but if somebody takes advantage of another guy we understand why somebody on that team would come and defend them you know because yeah if you don't and we've we've seen it and you've seen it when you played even in the 90s when you played if if it didn't happen if somebody didn't if wasn't accountable to it what would happen it would end up as a big huge brawl or somebody would end up getting hurt
3: yeah absolutely and and you have 30 guys 30 40 guys high on testosterone you know going after the same goal and, and that's why I believe Toronto will never win the Stanley Cup nope. no they ever. will never they will never ever win the Stanley Cup and that's,
0: yeah, yeah, I just yeah, yeah. You, you I, know, I, I, got, I got some friends up in Toronto, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. I got some friends up in Toronto, and every year I hear the same thing, and I'm sure you do in Vancouver every year. Oh, the Leafs are going to get it, they've got the offensive skills. And I keep telling them, I don't care if you've got Austin Matthews, I don't care if you've got Mitch Marner, I don't care if you've got um, Tavares. Your blue line is terrible, and you have nobody that's physical that is going to stand up for those guys. Well, Austin Matthews stands up for himself. No, no, oh. no, he shouldn't have to. He should not exactly. have to stand up for himself. And he doesn't stand up for Who on the, the
3: cup, Osher? All you got to say, who on the cup, Osher? The most yeah. physical team in the National mm-hmm. Hockey League. You know, they're saying goons can only fight. Wow. Let me uh, put it this way. Craig baruby has got a Stanley Cup. He was a goon. Look at well, what... Yeah, uh, yep. Rocky Thompson did as a coach. Yeah, Rocky Thompson should, and he earn it. Should be the next head coach of some NHL team.
0: Yeah, should and be
3: hands hands down. He should be. He his, you know, he's right there. So just because you were good doesn't mean you're you're a bad coach. He's chief is a one hell of a coach, and they won the cup because Doug Armstrong built a fantastic team. They had the skills, they had the toughness, they had the physicality. They have the goaltending and everything click at the right time, you have to have the physicality to win the
0: cup. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of people, a lot of people will say Boston wasn't physical to get to the cup. If you watch Boston in any of those series, Boston was very physical. If they were not physical, very. they wouldn't
3: have been in the. They wouldn't exactly. have been in the Cup
0: Finals. It would have no. been Washington in the Cup Finals.
3: Yes, yes. And again, when Washington wins because of Wilson, people hate Wilson, but. You know what? You hate playing against a guy like that. For sure you do. But you love to have a guy on on, on your team who can score 35-40 goals because he's a one hell of a player. He could fight. He'll fight anybody in the league. And there you go. He, he hit. He hit. He gets under your skin and that's a player that you want on your team. Do you want Ben Marchand? Absolutely. But sure. then somebody else needs to fight his battle. So it's you need physicality, and you need you need guys like Wilson. You need guys like Reeves, and that's that's just that's where I stand.
0: Yeah, and you know a lot of people, and they get mad at me for this, but uh, there was a blues player that Wilson hit uh, Sunquist uh, in preseason last year and knocked yeah. him out cold. And yeah. I get hell for this because I'm a blues podcast, but I'm an yeah. honest I'm an honest guy. If a blues player does something wrong, I'll say it. If he does something right, I'll say it. Yeah. And I, t- I told everybody, I said, listen, they are both accountable for their bodies. I said, the first thing they teach you in hockey, when you're a forward, a defenseman, whatever, when you cross the blue line, when you have that puck, do not put your head down. And what did Oscar Sundquist do? He crossed the line and put down. his head down. You can't do
3: that. Absolutely. No, you can't. You can you, Can you cut a cross in, in the football and receive a pass from a quarterback without getting hit? No. No. You do that. And exactly that's how we learned to play it again, mm-hmm. and you can't blame the player we were taught if you if I wouldn't hit him, then I wouldn't play because I didn't finish my check so and if if I get hit because I had my head down all my all my coach would say says, "Well, you're stupid for putting your head down yep, but now he's crucified for oh, how dare he That's a head contact. well, if his nose is touching his laces. <laughs> everything is gonna. Well, everything's gonna be. a everything's gonna be a high hit because a, a point of contact is a head, right? Because he, he's right. too low. So, what are you supposed to do? What that's about right. Deno Chara? Deno Chara six foot nine. So everything yep. technically, every other hit, it's a hit to the head. That's right. If you yeah. think about it, yeah. So he should be. He should be suspended for life. But it doesn't. He,
0: you you have, have cap, to be. Yeah. You have to be responsible with your body. If you're the guy that's Absolutely. doing the hit. And you go to hit somebody in the open ice, and they've got the puck. And as you're going to hit them, they put their head down. You cannot stop. People don't
1: understand no. that. You you're, cannot you're stop your body. The head.
3: You can't. You can't hit. Nearly committed to the hits. There's no. That, people. If people think you can not stop, that's because they never played the game. <laughs> they've never yeah, played you, the game. Yeah. yeah. Try to. Yeah. Try to drive 40 kilometers an hour and start stopping on a dime. It doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, it, 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 so it definitely, we, definitely sounds like you and I agree on a lot of those things. Uh, well, you, yeah,
3: it's,
0: it's common it's common sense, Roman. It's just common absolutely sense. Is.
3: Absolutely. And
0: uh, we lack all that today, whether it's on the ice or off the ice. But let's get back to, <laughs> okay. to your time with the Blues. You weren't with them very long. Um, February 27th, something that a lot of Blues fans uh, backed in, got very excited about, and I'm sure you were probably shocked. You, along with Craig Johnson and uh, Patrice Tardiff and two draft picks, were traded to the Kings for Wayne Gretzky. Everybody's got Gretzky's uh, take on that day, what it was like for him. What was that day like for you?
3: Well, I, uh, I got the phone call. I was in Prince Albert. I, I, was, I think I was eating. Sure. Or, uh, yeah. You were playing with and, the Raiders, uh, I, got, I believe? I was playing with the Raiders, yeah. And I got a phone call from Sam McMaster, general manager the LA Kings. And I hung up on him because I thought it was uh, I thought it was a joke. Curtis Curtis Brown used to play a lot of jokes on me, so uh I thought it was a joke from, from Brownie and Okay, so never really thought anything of it and then kept eating and I got the phone call again, so I answered the phone again. No cell phones back then, right? So you have to get up, go to the kitchen, grab the phone, stand by the, this is, hello, yes Sam McMaster. I go, Okay, well it's not a joke really. Yeah, then he told me that uh, he wanted to welcome me to the LA organization and that I got traded to LA. And then he mentioned who I got traded for, and uh, I kind of have to sit down first um, (laughs) before it kicked in. But once it kicked in, I go, "Oh my god, yeah, I just got traded for you know the best player in the world ever played a game." Um, Yeah, so I was kind of I was disappointed on one end. Uh, by happy or the other, but uh, I wish I wish I would stick around with the San Luis. Honestly,
0: yeah, and and I will tell you, I was born in Southern California. Uh, the love of the game out there in LA until Gretzky came there was nothing, and after he left, it, everybody kind of expected the Kings to continue to win a lot of games, and it didn't happen that way. But one good thing that did happen. That you got to play with your brother, and what was—I'm sure that was very exciting for you, because I'm sure growing up you guys were practicing against each other, spending a lot of time on the ice together. That must have been something that was really good for
3: you. That was definitely, definitely a highlight of my life. When you play, he's three years older. He, you know, he played. uh, uh, He played for a national team. He played Olympic games, and so he was—he was much better, much better player than me. He was a defenseman. But I could kick his ass, so, so that's, that's always my excuse. <laughs> Anytime I wanted, but you know, playing with him, it, it was a for sure honor and it was fun. Uh, that being said, I was more um, out of the lineup than he was. He was more. He yep. was probably steadier. Yeah. And but so I had to uh, I had to just you know keep working hard. So we played a few games. I believe we played uh, close a little over twenty games together but so my mom and dad had a chance to see us playing together in LA. And I think that's the highlight of my life for sure.
0: Well, oh, that is great. And I'm sure he feels the same way. If I talk to him, I'm sure he would probably say that he could kick your ass. So it's probably yeah, a difference of uh, opinion. Okay. There. Yeah. No, he, he knows
3: he can. So, well, <laughs> well but you he, know, can, he, he can, go he, ahead. He he can rub it in my face. Now he's got the Stanley cup brain, So, and I don't, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess he can a little bit, but, uh, um you know a lot of people didn't follow your career after that you spent time with the kings in and out you played for the uh the Fredericton canadians you, you had a cup of coffee three games with the blackhawks you ended your career with the flyers but you played with a lot of good players there in la uh, and you played with a lot in st louis grant Fier, as i mentioned uh a friend of mine i had him on the show before uh, al mcginnis you got to play with chris pronger brett hall you got to play with uh Rob Blake in, in L.A. You got to play with Ray Ferraro. Yeah.
3: You know what? Ray was, when I see Ray, you know, you, you see the statue. You get a little, little just a little, you know, Yeti. Um, <laughs> he was incredibly strong for his size. Incredibly strong. He was an incredible athlete uh, with great sense for the game. He had, mm-hmm. You know, he could read the game like there's, like, no one, he could make the pass, he could shoot he could score some goals. Just look what he did in Brandon. I think that the his goal record still stands in the was not Yeah. So, you know, it's an incredible achievement. And yeah, he he was he was a one out of a player. He he, he wasn't was
0: yeah, he wasn't a, like you said, he was not a big guy, but he was no but he was extremely he
3: was, extremely strong.
0: Yeah, extremely strong upper yeah. body, extremely yeah. strong skating. Great hands. Yes. He had excellent yes. hands.
3: Yes, he did. Yeah, and especially uh, in the tight tight area, he was he was very good.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, if if you had him up against the boards and you were behind him, he was very good at moving that puck out and getting it to somebody. Yeah.
3: yeah. Let's talk. He about- would be fantastic in now, now game because he would never shut up. He would serve the benches. That's why he's doing what he's doing because he was such a good. His mouth was ridic- ridiculous.
0: Now, was was he the worst chirper that you ever played with or against?
3: Would play with, yes. He, that would have to be him. Yes, <laughs> he was awful. Yeah, he <laughs> chirped absolutely everybody. Yeah, him when him and Barney go back and forth. That oh, I funny. bet.
0: I bet. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, I, I'd love to have a microphone there. That would have been awesome.
3: <laughs> oh, you would. have. Oh my God! It would be. Oh yeah. You,
0: pro- you probably couldn't was, play it on tv though
3: <laughs> no you for sure couldn't no, no.
0: <laughs> well let's move on from that after uh you played in the nhl a lot of people didn't know about your career but you played after you uh finished with them with the phantoms in the ahl you played 12 games there like you said you went and uh played for the mosquitoes the pelicans you played until 2011 you just retired nine years ago uh, was it tough to retire? Was it just that time to put the skates up and say, you know, I've had a good career. I've played a long time. I did the best I could.
3: Well, it came when I was playing back home, and I, and I give myself a kind of goal. Okay, I started in my hometown, and I told myself that's what I would like to hang him. And when 2011 hit, you know, we had a good round with my home team. We made mm-hmm. the playoff. We made the quarterfinal, which was, you know, the for my team was very good very good run um but i was there alone my family was back here in canada and my boys were starting to school so i was only 35 i could easily play in check until i was probably 40 probably again again, but if you i wanted to see my boys to grow up and you know help my wife to uh uh, raise them properly and and i think it was time to uh time to hang him and and move back to canada
0: yeah, you know, a lot of guys when they get older, they tend to be not as physical. They don't uh, take the body as much. They don't uh, give it too much. But uh, your last five years, uh, your two years in Sweden, you had 162 penalty minutes, 171, and then the last year, the before you retired in uh, for HC Littenoff, you had 177 penalty minutes. Yeah, well, I, I
3: like you know, I was just if you remember Adam Krackel. He he yeah. played for the Blues.
1: Yeah, yeah, he lives
3: here in he lives in here at Cranbrook and we talk. I go to the same gym and and I'm probably in better shape now than I was when I retired at 35. So, um, but I, like I said, I love to play physical. I uh, that that was that was my bread and butter. I, I had a pretty good shot. I didn't know where the puckies are gonna go, but I had a pretty good shot. But the physicality that was pretty much my bread and butter. And when I talked to cracks. Adam Krakow, actually made a joke. Says, "Well, you try to make a comeback, or because uh, I'm like you know a lot of a lot of people don't know me, but um, I'm in better shape now
0: than when I was playing." Oh, I I believe it. A lot of those guys in the '90s, um, after the game, it was beer and going out. There wasn't a lot of working out. That kind of started in the late '90s, early 2000s, where guys started taking a little bit better. Uh, care of their bodies, but uh, talking about Adam crack. Now that's a guy that, you know, loves the game. He continues yeah. to play teams still will find a spot for him when they need yeah. somebody to come in and play. Is, is he a top line guy? No. Is he a top two line guy? No. Is he a guy you can put on a fourth line? That's going to give you good minutes. Yeah, he is.
3: He's a good PK guy. He's a good team guy. Like you said, if you can give me eight to 12 minutes, fantastic you know you know and he's come with a decent price yeah why not yeah, yeah. you know, you some, know I, I,
0: some, I, w- I would i would rather have a guy that could give me a great 8 to 12 minutes than a guy that gives me a bad 18 minutes
3: oh yeah 100 percent agree with you but sometimes you with the, with the salary cap and all that right yeah. i mean now you have a fourth line players making two million dollars and so replace them with the guy who's making 500 to 700 like crack no, would it's it's extremely difficult because then where are you going to put the money right so it's it's all about it's 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 a business nowadays it's not really um it's
0: yeah it's business it's it's and you know people got to realize it's a business and speaking of the business uh the season was shortened in march they're talking about the new playoff format and i'm going to get your opinion on it and i'll give you mine Do you like the twenty four team playoff format?
3: I I don't. I don't. I I honestly don't like it. And after watching the the lottery the other day,
0: oh, that was a joke.
3: I want to throw up. It's a joke. I want to. It's an absolute joke. It's I I don't. I don't even have. I'm I'm speechless. I have no words to describe it. What happened? Like how? How is it even possible? Like it becomes a a circus. It's 24 teams in a playoff, and now you have teams that were literally the worst teams in the league, trying to get the first overall pick, and none of them get them. Now playoff team will get yeah. Lafreniere. How how is that even possible? That, that's the whole point of the lottery. That's so right. The worst team in the league have the opportunity to get the best player available in an upcoming draft. And all of a sudden, none of the teams will get it. And so, what happens if Edmonton gets it? What happens if Toronto gets it? What about Pittsburgh? If Pittsburgh loses, in what the about first Pittsburgh? Brand? There you go. What about Pittsburgh? There you go. <laughs> wow. Like i mean, i I mean, wow. Like I, I'm, I got, I got nothing. I even cancel. I even cancel all my sports channels because oh I ain't my. gonna watch. I, I'm not gonna watch this. I'm not. I can't. Well, no. you know,
0: I, I've got the podcast, so I have to, and I'm, I'm gonna put an asterisk by this season, and. Like I said, I think Gary Bettman has done a lot for the owners. If you want to talk to me about bringing money and bringing in different fans, um, I think he's done a decent job at that. But some of his stuff that he's done with the All-Star game, the three-on-three and all that other stuff, I'm not big on. I don't think he's been great for the game. The guy that I really liked, and he retired before you even got to the NHL, was John Ziegler. I think he was a commissioner from the late seventies to the early nineties and Gil Stein after him did a decent job, but uh, you know, it's about money, Roman. And that's what it all comes down to with these guys now. And I think a lot of the old owners in the old days, yeah, they wanted to make money, but they loved the game. They, they loved that game because most of them played it as kids in Canada. And some of the owners today, maybe never played the game and they don't have that love no. for the game and the respect for the game. Uh, my feelings on it, you're what you're doing is um I'm not a Bruins fan, but the Bruins and the blues finished the top two teams in the Eastern and Western conference. And they're being screwed over. And so is teams two th- through four, but especially yeah. the blues yeah. and Bruins they're given yeah. teams like Chicago who have no, no reason to be in the playoffs in the playoffs wow. Uh, and you know, I understand in the Eastern Conference, yeah. you had all those teams. I believe there were four or five teams with eighty-one points. I understand that, but I, the point I bring back, I, and people get mad at me when I do, is the last stoppage in play when they only played, I think, fifty-three games in one season or forty-six. Yeah. Did they change yeah. the play? Did they change the playoff structure then? No, they didn't. Nope. Nope. They've got to nope. go and screw it up. They screwed up the the, yeah. the draft. Pittsburgh could get the number one player in the draft, which is ridiculous. And yeah. now we've got this 24-team format, and it's, hey, if you play and you're one of the top four teams in your league and you see this happen, you cannot be happy.
3: No, no. Yeah, no, it's, it's frustrating. The, the top, like you said, the top four teams got to be frustrated, extremely frustrated. Uh, like you said, Chicago, they, they have no rights to be in a playoff. But people are saying, well, you know, there was – Three weeks left in the regular season. A lot of things could happen. Okay, well it didn't happen in the sixty six game. so what do you think makes you happen in twelve or whatever? Like
0: so yeah, I I I, I sat no, down and like I can't I, I can't remember the numbers, Roman, but I think every team in front of Chicago would have had to play under five hundred, and I think they would have had to have win nine out of their last twelve. Nine out, 10, of their last, out of twelve.
3: Yeah. Yeah. They and you to knew that wasn't 90% gonna happen. Of the game that it's wasn't going to happen. happen. Of course it's they not going to happen. They don't have the talent. And now they're even considering Chicago as the hub city.
0: Ah, uh, I know. Uh, you know why? And I th- yeah, because of you know, the owners. It's because of the owners and it's because NBC Sports, that's one of their exactly. major channels, is NBC exactly. Sports Chicago. In my mind, exactly. Roman, when you start letting the TV to, yeah. to, 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 to put your game out, make decisions on playoff yeah. formats, and from what I was told, Roman, I was told by somebody that was in those meetings that NBC had a decision on that twenty-four player format, and I think that's ridiculous.
3: Absolutely yeah. Wow, wow.
0: And I, and I yeah. trust this person. They're in the media in Toronto, and I know they wouldn't lie to me. And um, I've, they've told me things before that have come out to be true weeks later that I found out. So I trust them yeah. when they tell me. As uh, someone from NBC sports was in that meeting and had to say so in that 2014 playoff format, it really got me upset.
3: Yeah. Well, I don't blame it. Yeah. Wow.
0: Uh, let's uh, let's go ahead. We'll get over one more subject. Uh, a lot of people are kind of looking at the CBA thinking it's going to get done quick. There was news last week that they think it might be done within a couple weeks, which would be great for the new expansion team coming in. I believe next season, Seattle, but um, do you think the CBA is going to get done soon? It's, and is it really in the players' interest to sign it quickly, especially with the way things are going with the new playoff format? We don't know what the salary cap's going to be like next year because you know I've had some people tell me it's going to go up by two and a half million. With part of the season being gone, I actually see it going down or staying exactly where it's at.
3: I you know what I don't really follow that. But after talking some like Adam Crackle and. You know, he's been involved in that for, for years. Um, there's... I believe there's going to be a lockout. That's, that's why they're pushing so hard for them to finish at least this playoff. So so if you say finish this year in the playoff, then you're uh, going to have a one full year next year. Mm-hmm. And that's and the following year is going to be your lockout year. So, um, yeah. you know what? I, 34... There's, I guess, thirty four percent rollback escrow escrow mm-hmm. this year. Yep, that's a lot of money.
0: That's a ton of money.
3: That is a lot of money. So, you know what? It's I think it's in players' hands, and the, I think the players and the association uh, make they're going to make decision after the playoff or after this this uh, circus is going to uh, you know play out and see what's going to happen. But um, my personal feeling is I think there's going to be a lockout in two years.
0: I would have to fully agree with you. A lot of uh, other podcasts have called me negative Nelly and that I'm always negative. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not negative. I know some things you may not know. And I think it's about a 70 to 80% chance that we're going to see a lockout. How long it will last? I don't know because uh, there's only one reason why the owners want to get it done quickly. And it's not because they want to give up money.
3: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Owners are not ever there to give money. In it to, to make money for themselves, and and if the players are not happy with their offer, then there'll be no hockey, and that's that's part of life. That's, that's the way it is.
0: Uh, do you think the union's as strong as it used to be, like when when you played back in the nineties?
3: I think it is. Yes, I think. Uh, uh, Fair is doing a fantastic job for the players. And uh, I think the union is stronger than ever. Yeah, I believe so.
0: Yeah, I, I think that Donald Fears done a great job. He was great for Major League Baseball. Uh, he yeah. helped that uh, players' union along after it was weak yes. for such a long time. And I, I I think he likes to get deals done, and but he's not going to sign something that 18 months down the road all the player reps are gonna be upset about, unlike the NFL that signs a contract and eighteen months later every player's mad about. Donald Fear won't yeah. do
3: that. I think Donald Fear is not a pushover, absolutely. He helped in yeah. major league baseball and I think that's why the NHL says we gotta get this guy. He's doing a fantastic job for baseball. Let's see what he can do for us and I think he's doing a fantastic job for the for the boys.
0: I don't want to keep any longer, Roman. I think we've had a great discussion. I really appreciate your time. I wanted people to get to know you personally, because a lot of blues fans that were around in the eighties and nineties, uh, mainly only thought of you as the guy that got traded for Wayne Gretzky. They didn't know that you continued to have that career afterwards and that you played till twenty eleven when you were in your mid-thirties. Uh and I wanted to make sure people got to know you, the player, and not just the name that they seen hey, this guy was traded for Wayne Gretzky. And hopefully you can join us again after the playoffs. I know you said you're not going to watch him, but uh, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately I have to because of the, my podcast. But uh,
3: hopefully yeah. we can have
0: you on again.
3: Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a blast again. So thank you. And like I said, if uh, you want me on and again, it will be my pleasure to do it again after the playoffs. And I will watch it because my kids will want to watch it. So, so I'm going to have good, to be there. What a oh, good
0: yeah. dad. You're going to sacrifice it for your children.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: well, th- th- thanks again, Roman. I appreciate it.
2: This has been The Drop Podcast. Don't forget to visit our website, www.droppodcast.com, where you can subscribe to our show and download current and past episodes from iTunes, Stitcher.com, and Google Play. You can follow The Drop on Twitter at Official the Drop. For more information about lineupmedia.fm or the Drop Podcast, email us at info at lineupmediagroup.com, the official at gmail.com, or lance d at droppodcast.com. Until next time, let's go blues.
0: This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.